0: Hey, everybody. Good to see y'all. Like the guys said, my name is Mike. I'm the uh, campus pastor here at Victorville, and uh, just good to be with you this evening as we continue in our series on the one another's. Uh, let me just tell you if this is your first time, the one another's are commands in the New Testament that, that give us instruction, or that really they inform how we're supposed to live as Christians in community with each other. And my task this evening this weekend is to teach on what it looks like to fulfill this command that we see in James 5:16 and it just simply says this pray for one another pray for one another. Now, I, I know that most of you probably already know you're supposed to do that, right? And I mean, there's, there's all kinds of encouragement to pray, and we know that there's lots going on in our lives, and we ought to pray for one another, but we want to dig a little deeper, and so I want you to just take your copy of God's Word. If you have one of these hard copies, you can open with me to John 17. If you have one of those electronic ones, you can go there. Words, as always, will be up on the screen, but i love for you to just grab your copy of God's Word and join me. Uh, in John chapter 17, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament, uh, this gospel message of John, just describing the life of Jesus, has this wonderful section near the end where it's just this time where Jesus spends with his disciples right before he goes to the cross and right at the very end of his time in this upper room called the Upper Room Discourse, he bows and he prays to his heavenly father. And I wanna look at that prayer specifically for how Jesus prays for his people, prays for his disciples because, and this is your first fill in the blank, in Jesus's prayer for others, we have a model for praying for one another. It's a pretty simple concept, right? In, in Jesus' prayer for uh, his others, we have a model for how we should pray for our others. And so join me in this passage, this great text, John 17. We're gonna start in verse 13, about halfway through the prayer, which is where he begins to turn his attention to his disciples, and here's what he prays for them. I'm coming to you now, he says to his father. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. I've given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you love me before the creation. Of the world. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you'd bless it to our hearts tonight. Teach us to pray. God, help us better understand what it looks like for us to pray effectively for one another in the body of Christ, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're gonna look at this model prayer under two different headings, all right? First heading, the context of praying for one another. The second one, the content of praying for another. Just these two headings. And so let's look first at the context. For praying for one another. The context of praying for one another. Just go back to verse 13 where he starts that prayer for his disciples. And here's what he says. I'm coming to you now. He's looking forward to returning to heaven with his father And he says, I am coming to you now. He knows his death is imminent, that his resurrection will soon come after that, and he'll be back with his father. But he needs to say something. He says, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. These are things that his disciples need to hear. And there's a reason why they need to hear him. And there's a reason why he's asking his father, and and it's this reason, so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. If you just zero in on those three words, so that they, there's your context for praying for one another in those three words. And you're like, what? So that they, what what in the world are you talking about? These three words indicate the context of prayer for one another because they point to who Jesus is praying for and why who he's praying for and why. And let me just say something. It should be obvious to us, but, but the thing when Jesus knows who's he, who he's praying for, then what that indicates to us is we need to know who we are praying for. And you say, okay, Pastor Mike, Captain Obvious, let's, let's keep moving. Uh, clearly, Jesus is praying for his disciples. Who is it that you're praying for? Let me just give you an example of the one and others in my life. I pray for my wife, Marianne, love of my life. She's one of my one, one another's. I pray for my son, Joel, his wife, Mo. I pray for my daughter, Kaylee. They're all in their 20s. They're out of the nest. They're on their own. I pray for them. They're one, part of my one another's. I pray for my extended family, my parents, my wife's parents. I pray for my, my siblings, my wife's siblings. I pray for nieces and nephews. And they, those, those people are spread all across the country. I pray for my coworkers in ministry, both at HGC as well as from previous ministries that I've been a part of. I pray for my growth group here at church because I spend time with those people every single week. And I pray for you because you are part of my community. Some of you I know better than others, but but we're all in this as one family, as one community under Christ Jesus. And so when you write on your welcome forms. And you tell me what's going on in your life. You're being prayed for whether it's me or somebody else on our staff, because we pray for one another. It's part of living in community as followers of Jesus. And here's the thing. I know who I'm supposed to pray for. I know that Jesus knew he was spo- who he was supposed to pray for. My question is, do you know who you're supposed to be praying for? Are you that intentional? Have you actually thought about that? In in fact, it's not just important for this message. It was important on message one because when it says love one another, you ought to have a picture in your mind of who your one another is that you have to love. And when when it says to us, when it gives us a command, bear one another's burdens, you ought to have a picture in your mind of who that is, of who the burdened one another's in your life are that you're supposed to come alongside and bear their burdens with them. And the same goes for this, this exact command, pray for one another. We need to know who we're praying for. It's so important. And it, it is not the most important part of this, but it's super important. So please think about who your one another's are. That's part of the context of praying for one another. The second part of the context is why. Why do you pray for one another? Why should we do this? Uh, if we're honest, most of us would answer that question by simply saying, well, I pray for other people so that God would meet their needs. They have needs, and I just, I ask God to meet them. It's a pretty simple, straightforward thing. And and I would say that I'm probably right there with you the majority of the time. My prayers are needs-driven. I I listen to what's going on in people's lives, and I'm like, well, I need to pray for that. That's a need in their life. And I'm not saying that that's not what we got to do, but I'm just looking at Jesus's prayer and his reason why. And and I'm not seeing something that's needs driven. I'm seeing something that's purpose driven. Jesus says, Father, I'm praying in front of these guys right now so that there's a purpose so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That's interesting. That's an interesting motivation. That's an interesting purpose statement for prayer. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I just want to spend some time camping out on that. The first thing that I think Jesus means when he says he has this desire for his disciples' fullness of joy, it isn't... Let me tell you what it isn't. It isn't about them having a cup that's filled with joy. What it is about is them having a reservoir of joy so that their cup never runs out. Do you get the difference? He's not saying, oh, oh, God, would you just fill their cup with joy? No, he's saying, God, would you give them an amazing, huge reservoir of of joy that that they will never run out of joy because that's what he's praying for. He's he's saying, I want them to experience this joy. And it's not just any joy, it's his joy. And I, I just think we need to ask the question, what is distinctive about the joy that Jesus has that's just different than plain old joy? And if if you remember this verse over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 gives us really great insight into the, the joy that Jesus had. Here's what it says: For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a connection between joy and cross, but I want you to notice that it doesn't say Jesus enjoyed the cross does it? it doesn't say he enjoyed the cross it says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him now the cross was set before him but the cross was not the joy what was the joy the joy was the mission. The mission Jesus was on what was the joy that allowed him to endure the cross because he could see what God was up to. He was up to our eternal salvation. And nothing could fill him with joy. The kind of joy that would make him willing to go to the cross for us than to know that that was why he came. As you read through this prayer, one of the things that stands out, it's amazing, he uses the word sent seven different times. Sent. In in Latin, that word is missio. Does that sound like a word you're familiar with? They talked about it when they talked about Sri Lanka. Missions. Missions or mission. To be a person on mission is to be a person who's sent. Sent sent with a purpose to to be a person on mission is to be someone who is sent with purpose to be on mission means comfort and safety needs and wants come second to the mission to be on mission means that our health our wealth our relationships may be good things but they are not ultimate things the mission is And if you've been around HTC for any length of time, you probably know what we do with the main thing. We keep it the main thing, right? But honest confession, I often abandon the mission to pursue health or wealth or relationship because you know what i see as a source of joy i see those things cuz when i'm not healthy i'm not happy when i'm not wealthy i'm not happy when my relationships are broken i'm not happy and i somehow equate happiness with joy and those things are not the same and so oftentimes what that does is that informs my prayers that gives me the purpose of my prayers i am praying for health i'm praying for wealth i'm praying for broken relationships and I'm missing the main thing. It's not driving my prayers, these temporary things are. And when we lose those things, we, we, those things like health and wealth and relationships, we lose our joy and we pray that God would restore them. But Jesus is praying, knowing that he's going to the cross, but he's on mission. There's something greater going on that's going to allow him to endure the cross. That's going to be allow, allow that's going to allow him to take a beating that he did not deserve, to be nailed as a criminal and executed. Naked before a jeering, mocking crowd that didn't even understand what he was doing. He endured that cross because he was on mission. A mission that filled him with joy. Because on that cross, though he sacrificed everything, he was accomplishing the only thing that mattered my salvation and yours that was all that mattered to him he died in physical agony he died poor he died alone so that you and I could live eternally and prosperously in his presence that was his mission And I realized as I was reading through this prayer and just contemplating this whole idea of what does it mean to be motivated by joy, the kind of joy that allowed Jesus to endure the cross. And I I realized that the most empty way for me to live my life, especially as someone who's a Christ follower, is to live for myself and for the pleasures of this world, to place them above the mission Jesus has given me. If fullness of joy like Jesus had is what we seek, then we must live for something greater than ourselves, our health, our wealth, our relationships. And it's not that those aren't important. They're just second to the mission, amen? The mission is not to find satisfaction in this world. The mission is not to escape this world. The mission is to go into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the proper context for praying for one another as followers of Jesus is to know who our one another's are and to pray that we would keep the main thing, the main thing, that we would stay on mission, that we wouldn't allow anything else to become higher than than understanding that Jesus has left us here for one reason, and that is because lost people need to become saved people. And it is out of that context that our content is informed. And that's the second heading we want to look at today as we consider how to pray for one another. We want to look at the content of praying for one another. The content. Jesus' model prayer actually gives us four major pieces of content to his prayer for others. And the first one is in verse 15, where Jesus prays for protection for protection. Here's what he says. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer for my others, my disciples, is not, Father, that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. It's very reminiscent of the prayer he taught to his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And one of the things that he taught them to pray is, and... Right, deliver us from the evil one or from evil, right? Very, very similar. Have you ever been in a place where you said to yourself, I don't think it's safe to be here. Have you ever been in in one of those places? I've been there uh, more times than, than I would like. That is not a fun place to be. I mean, minutes earlier, you're giving no thought to matters of safety and security, but now you're just on high alert and you're like, whoa, where am I and how do I get out of here, right? You ever been in one of those places? In verse 14, Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. And I just wanna want to make sure you understand this. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is to say, if you are a person who doesn't just say you believe in Jesus, but you actually live according to his word, then make no mistake, it's not safe for you to be here. It's not safe for you to be here. If you truly follow Jesus... Jesus said of his disciples, he says of us, I've given them your word and the world has what? Hated them. Hated them. Why? Because they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. They hated me. They're going to hate them. They hate Jesus. They will hate those who follow Jesus and who live life like Jesus. And so if you truly believe and follow Jesus and are on the same mission that he was on, it's not safe for you to be here. And Jesus could have asked the father to take his followers out of this hostile world. But I don't know if you saw it, he very specifically says, don't do that. Don't take them out of this world. Don't extract them. Protect them. Do you sometimes wish Jesus would have just prayed, Father, beam them up. (laughs) Right? Take them now. I don't want to have to watch them go through this. I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. I've wondered that. This world is broken by sin. It does affect our health. It does affect our finances. It affects politics. It affects relationships. It's a difficult place to live. And there are times when I just say, Lord, meet me up. Take me home. And you know why I asked that question? For the same reason you asked that question. It's because we've got our eyes off the mission. We've forgotten why he's left us here. We are on a mission. A mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus. And the evil one hates Christ's followers because of it. There are two thoughts that were just impressed on me as I studied this particular point. And if you're at all like me, I, I just wanna share them with you. The first thought was this, Mike, you will never be any safer than when you're on mission and under God's protection. You'll never be any safer than when you're on mission and under God's protection. Remember how Jesus finished the great commission? Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. How did he finish it? And lo, or behold, or, or check this out, I will be with you always till the end of the world. We are never any safer than when we are on mission for Jesus, with Jesus, and thereby under his protection. Second thing that just hit me like a ton of bricks was this thought. Mike, you don't need to run from the world in pursuit of safety. You need to run to it as one sent on mission into the world. Because I'm a chicken. I'm a wimp. I'm a scaredy cat. I want to withdraw into my house with my security cameras, my alarm system, I want to get off of these crazy roads in the high desert as quickly as I can. God, keep me safe. And all I can tell you is because I am here on mission, I can't be any safer. If you go to Texas or Idaho or Tennessee or somewhere else to be safer as a follower of Jesus, Good luck, because the first thing I wanna tell you is you're now off mission if that's the reason why you're going, because you've been sent to a world that needs a savior. And if you're thinking about your own safety first, you're off mission. You're off mission. And the Lord protects those who are on mission. And so God was calling me as I prepared this mission (laughs) to get my head back in the game because I've been sent. I've been sent to this world and it isn't safe, but I'm never more safe than when I'm on that mission to see lost people become safe people. Anybody tracking with me this evening? Okay. You glad you came to church? If I'm stepping on your toes, they probably shouldn't be under there. So move those puppies. All right, here we go. Uh, Second one, second request that Jesus is praying for is that we, uh, that should inform the context of our prayers uh, for one another is this, sanctification. He doesn't just pray for protection. He prays for sanctification. He says, verse 17, John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. There's those words, sent, sent. For For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, this word sanctification, that's a churchy word, all right? It's a real churchy word. We, we can throw it around in church, and sometimes we don't even know what we're saying, right? It's translated other places, holy. <laughs> it's another churchy word, and again, we can throw that one around. Sometimes we don't even really know what we're saying. The, the word sanctification or holy just means very literally set apart. It means set apart. When he's praying for, for his followers' sanctification, he's saying that they would be set apart. Uh, that is, that, that, uh, that they would be set apart for a purpose, set apart on, set apart on purpose. Um, when, he, when he's praying for sanctification, most of us, when, he, when most of us think about sanctification or holiness, and we think that what Jesus is praying is that our performance would improve. We would be holier, righteouser, godlier, Right? That's not what he's praying. He's actually praying, it, it's a part of it, but that's not, the, that's not the full measure of it. What he's praying for, he's more concerned uh, with their difference than their performance. In other words, he's more concerned that they stand out in this world. That they're different than the others in this world. The key to understanding sanctification is this idea that we're to be sanctified in truth. God's word is truth. Christ followers are sanctified. That is, they are different. They are set apart. They're different from the world because God, God's word informs them of what is true and they conform to that truth. Our world today says, find your truth. Tell your truth. Own your truth. Truth, the world says today, is relative and it's individual. It's my truth and your truth. And by the way, that's an untruth. That's a lie. Jesus' followers are different. They don't create their own truth. They conform to God's truth. They don't make truth conform to their feelings or circumstances, they allow God's truth to inform their feelings and circumstances. And to be sure, the hostility that we just talked about that's in this world is directly related to being sanctified by God's word, by being different because we have a different source for truth. And I don't know about you, but that makes me wanna pray for you all the more. Sanctification is not primarily for our benefit, but for our mission. We do not pursue holiness. To improve our standing with God or to prove our superiority to others, we pursue holiness so that our mission maintains integrity so our lives line up with our message. The mission that we're on is far too vital to allow our lack of integrity to compromise the gospel message. So pray for one another. Pray for their protection. Pray for their sanctification, for their differentness, a differentness that is grounded in the word of God and his truth. Thirdly, pray for their unity, for one another's unity. Look at John 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone, just these disciples right in front of me. I'm also praying for everyone who's gonna believe in me through their message, that all of them, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. We're back to mission right there. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, I don't have enough time tonight to preach a whole nother message on the unity amongst the Trinity. But man, there's a lot there. Let me see if I can boil it down for us. Unity in the body of Christ doesn't come through the elimination of our differences. It comes through the loving cooperation of different people on one mission, under one Lord with one faith. It doesn't come through settling on the lowest common denominator, but on rising to the highest name that is above every name. And you know what? You'll know when you've achieved it, when the world believes. They believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus came from the Father, they'll believe that because the only explanation for a bunch of different chowderheads like us to all be one is that God must be at work, amen? So here's the deal. We don't pray that people would stop fighting. We pray that they would seek Jesus. We don't ask that people would not see color or race. We ask that they see Jesus. We don't ask that people would align politically. We ask that they would follow Jesus. Because I don't achieve unity by getting people to see things my way. I need to pray that we would see things Jesus' way. Then the world will know That the Father sent the Son and loves them, the world, the way God's people love him. Our unity out of love for our Father proves and demonstrates the power of his love to bring people together, no matter what the difference. That's unity. We got to pray for that. It's So important to our mission. So pray for protection, pray for sanctification, pray for unity, finally pray for glory. Pray for glory. Another one of those churchy words, John 17, 24, Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus is ending his prayer the way he began it. If you go back to John 17, verse one, listen to how he starts this prayer to his father. He says, uh, this is what it says. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. By the hour has come, it means I'm going to the cross. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Why does Jesus pursue his glory? Why does he want us to see his glory? And frankly, how will we and those we pray for know if we've seen the glory of Jesus? The Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful insight in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Glory is a term of value or worth. Uh, If Taylor Swift walked in here tonight, she's not, not to get anybody's hopes up, Swifties, just calm down, all right. Uh, But if Taylor Swift walked in here, there'd be a commotion. Or if Elon Musk walked in here, people would be, did you see Elon Musk? Or maybe it's whoever, fill in your blank with your, you know, most favorite person on the planet. People would want to see them. They would want to talk to them. They would want to touch them. They'd selfie, right? Because there's a value there. There's a worth there. There's something about those kinds of people that people wanna be near them. That's kind of what the Bible means when it talks about glory. That's glory. It's just, well, you might call it popularity or fame or stardom. But what all these words have in common is value. It's just worth. These people seem to be worth a lot. Their accomplishments, their abilities, their their talent, their looks, their just their presence has a significance and a weight. They walk into a room and the atmosphere changes. In their presence, people feel special. I mean, they're here. But someday those people will be dead, gone, forgotten. And so will their glory because their glory is temporary. Jesus has an eternal weight of glory that followers of Jesus share in. And the only way to understand it and the only way to share into it is to just spend Time, wanting to see the glories of Jesus. And the reality is, is you can't see the glory of Jesus if God doesn't allow you. The, the scripture is clear, there's a veil over the The faces of people who are perishing in their sin, they can't see the glory unless God lifts the veil and allows them to see it. And once he does and you see the glory of Jesus Christ, you'll be like Isaiah before the throne and say, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Who am I to behold the glory of the Lord? But but here's the thing, every single day, we ought to want to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Because what that does is it transforms us with an ever-increasing glory. That is, it's just like Willie, you remember Willie? He used to sing, we go from glory to glory to glory. I love that song, anyway, it's really cool. Um, He did it better. But I love that idea that there is this glory that increases, increases, increases over time as we walk and we look into the glory of Jesus Christ and we begin to become more like him the more we gaze upon him. And just like Moses when he prayed and he said, Father, show me your glory. And God said, you can't handle my glory. I'll show you a little bit. And after seeing just a glimpse of the glory of God, his face lit up so bright that he had to put a veil over his face because his people couldn't stand to look on him because the glory of the God was radiating. See, part of this mission we're on is being these people that are spending enough time with Jesus Beholding his glory and, and seeing that glory just infuse and, in, and, and affect their lives. They're becoming, looking more like Jesus so that when the world is told about Jesus by a person who's looking more and more and more like Jesus, they're like, man. That is is the content of a joy-filled missions-driven prayer for one another. Church family, maybe you forgot like I did. We're on mission. We've been given the word of God to conform and transform our lives. We've been given the the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit to transform us into his image. And we've been sent like he was sent into the world to die on a cross for our our sins. We've been sent into the world to give the life-changing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who have ears to hear it. And it may mean people hate us because we're, we're saying, not, you can't have your truth, there's only one truth. Is Jesus, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And no one can come to the Father unless it's through him. We have this message and we are on a mission. We've been sent into this world. And that ought to, that ought to shape and transform the way we pray for one another because this is not just my mission, it's our mission. We're in this together. This is part of our community work. That we do as followers of Jesus, and I realize that that there are very real needs that are present right in this room. Uh, to, today, my daughter was driving up the hill and our and her engine blew up on the on the Cajon Pass. Maybe a sar, I don't know. That's a real need. It's a that's a pain in the neck. And here's the thing: I, 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 we ought to be praying about that. But may the mission inform the way we pray, because whatever whatever resources we need, whatever car is needed to help us be on mission, God will provide. And my good friend Jason Salcido, who's who's still in rehab and still has no feeling from here down because he was tossed out of a dump truck at work, just a crazy accident. And all I can tell you is God still has him on a mission. He is still being transformed from glory to glory to glory in his current state, and he is a witness where God has put him. He's on mission. Some of you are struggling with relationships, marriages, kids, whatever. And, and, and what I wanna say is those are real needs and all I wanna just get across to you is, yes, the need is real, but don't let it become the main thing. It's not. The mission is the main thing. thing stay on mission and let that shape your prayers. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor Mike, I appreciate what you're saying. I get it, but I, I, I'm not sure I know how. So let me close us in a time of prayer. And I wanna pray for you a joy-filled, mission-driven prayer over your lives, over your needs. And so I'm gonna ask you to bow with me. Father, I thank you that Jesus gives us a wonderful model And I thank you for what you've taught me, even in studying it, and I just pray you would continue to teach me more, let this grow deeper and richer and more meaningful in my own prayer life. Teach us to pray. And Father, I lift up my community of Christ followers to you tonight. And all around this room, and even online, there are people who have very real needs. They are experiencing loss. Loss of health. Loss of income. Loss in relationships. And it hurts. It's painful. It's difficult. It's frustrating. It's agonizing. And Father, I pray that you might meet all of your people in their places of need. That you would remind them that you are with them to the end of the age. That none of these things have caught you by surprise. You know our needs before we do. And God, You want to meet these people in their place of need. And in some cases, God, you're gonna provide a restoration of health, a restoration of wealth, a restoration of relationships. And in some cases you're not because we're still in a sin sick world. But the one thing I know that isn't changed is that we have a mission. And so I pray, for, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. God, I ask God that you would help us to see our losses, to see our sorrows, to see our frustrations, to see our hurts. God, to see them as an opportunity to display the glory of Jesus to display the unity of the body of Christ because we're not alone even in this this world terms. We're together. I pray, God, that you would even use our troubles to sanctify us, to make us different, to see things differently, to have different desires, to have different motivations. Sanctify us. And God... Please protect us from the evil one because I know these things are things he wants to use. He wants to use our fear, our discouragements, our doubts, our frustrations. He wants to use the brokenness of this world to get us off mission because he's on his own mission. And so God, I pray for your protection from his schemes, I pray for protection from those he is seeking to devour. God, keep us safe from our enemy that we may accomplish the mission you've left us here to do. And Lord, we just wanna say thank you that we have the assurance of knowing That one day, because Jesus endured the cross, despised its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, one day, one day, we will be delivered from this sin-sick world. Our mission will be over, and we will join you forever. Not because we deserve it, but because you are just that good and kind to us. And we want as many people to join us there as possible. So keep us on mission and may you receive the glory in it. And perhaps you're here and maybe this, maybe I sound like a madman to you. Maybe this all seems really weird. Because maybe you've never really abandoned your truth. Maybe you've never understood that there is One source of truth. It's the one who who spoke this world into existence. It's the one who created us with the ability to make a choice, to choose to do things his way, to do things our way. Maybe you've never realized that you've been living in rebellion to the one who has authority over your life and over this universe. And maybe you've just been shaking your fist and saying, no, I'm gonna do it my way. And maybe tonight the Lord would want you to make a change, to humble yourself, to admit that you've been a rebel to your creator. And the problem with that is that you don't deserve to be in, your, in his presence. He will give you exactly what you've wanted, which is to be apart from him. And he'll allow you to do that eternally in hell. And if you can admit that you're a sinner, that you don't deserve to be in God's presence, but it, be if you can believe that God doesn't want it to be that way, so he sent his son. And Jesus, who never sinned, became sin for you He took your penalty. He paid the price for your sin at the cross. And if you can believe that God is that good and kind to you, that Jesus could take your place and bear your punishment for sin, then all you have to do is see, choose. Choose to commit your life completely to Jesus. And join us on this mission Join us in taking the good news that Jesus died and rose again so that we could have everlasting life. You'll never regret it. I urge you, give your life to Jesus tonight. And again, Father, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for even leaving us here in this broken place on a mission with protection and all that we need to make your name known and to see lost people become safe people. Keep us on task this week and help us pray for one another as we're in this mission together. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.